0: Hey, there's lots of sources out there that talk about Google reviews, but why don't you listen to a couple of users of Clinic Gym Connect who talk about how easy it can be to get Google reviews through text messaging. Remember, texts get opened five times more than emails. So if you're sending requests for Google reviews, man, oh man, is it worth your time to send it via text? Here's Mark and Carson talking about their experience using Clinic Gym Connect.
1: We have a automation setup where it sends them a text responding to it saying, hey, thanks for your feedback. Would you mind sharing that in the form of a Google review? Leave the uh, link in there. It's a simple click. And we've seen some success with that. Out of the nine and tens, I would say it's about 25% leave Google reviews. We had one patient a couple of weeks ago who you know, wasn't really warm when they came in. We sent them through the new patient campaign, sent them a picture, made it easy for them to get here, seemed fine at checkout. And then I go and get a notification that night that they left us a five star Google review so I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that so it just shows that you know you never know how everybody's gonna react on my calls when I originally pick up the phone oh why you why'd you choose us? what brought you here? I've gotten a handful that say no well on'm Google seen a bunch of good things being sent so that's one of the first things I look at and it made it easy for us to pick you
0: so just like that, you can collect a bunch of text message based Google reviews now Mark and Carson have done a great job of this, but I have to tell you, we have another user who sent out a boatload of requests and in one week and got 64 new Google reviews. I mean, talk about success. So if you're interested in those kind of numbers, check out clinicgymconnect.com. Again, that's clinicgymconnect.com, or email me and be happy to set up a demo for you. Thanks a lot. Are you a chiropractor or physical therapist that believes in exercise, wants to make some money and wants to provide the absolute best care for your patients? Well, then you are in the right place. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley and this is Clinic Gym Radio where we talk about the Clinic Gym Hybrid Model which is combining the best parts of healthcare with active care and fantastic exercise programs to get patients the best care they can while helping you make more money in this game. This is Clinic Gym Radio and I'm Dr. Josh Satterley. I'm excited for you to be here. Hey everybody! Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and it is my pleasure today to be joined by Dr. Mark King. Mark, how are you doing?
2: Fantastic! G- glad to be here.
0: Ah, well, I'm glad to have you. I'm glad our mutual friend uh, Kevin Christie connected us, and um, he said that you are the man to talk to.
2: So I'm looking forward to it. Nice of him to say that. That's yeah. uh, that's unusual to hear from him, but that's nice of him to say it.
0: <laughs> well, Mark. Uh, I know a little bit about you. You're big in the world of uh, uh, MPI. You're big uh, in your, your practice. is a big one in there in what Cleveland. Is that right? Cincinnati. Cincinnati. I keep saying Cleveland. I apologize. Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, you're big in the world of chiropractic. You speak at Parker events. Uh, but give everybody a little background into how long you've been in practice, where you're from, and kind of how your practice is set up so they get some context for why I'm so excited to have you on here.
2: So I've been in practice almost 35 years in Cincinnati, Ohio. We moved into a bigger place about a dozen years ago. I started the clinic with my wife in 87. She's a DC also, and now we have um, eight DCs. Three of them are part-time, five of them full-time, and we have uh, two DPTs and we have a PTA. So we're about 10 minutes east of downtown Cincinnati. So I do that. And then I'm the current president of uh, Motion Palpation Institute. I got involved with Motion Palpation Institute about 1994 was when I first started teaching with him and took over as president in 2001. I've just stayed with it. And I have uh, Dr. Corey Campbell, Dr. Brett Winchester on the board with me. I have a bunch of other really great instructors and we're still putting on classes, um, teaching manual care stuff really all over the world. Obviously, we're focused in the U.S., but we go everywhere, South America and all over Europe and, and so on. It's just been a fascinating thing for me because I i like being around um, smart people. I use the example Corey Campbell and Brett Winchester. They're just smart people. They're also fun to be around. That's great. But, uh, you know, you're always learning from these other smart people that you're around. And that's uh I I, that's one of the things I would tell people is, you know, try to surround yourself with other talent. Uh, Don't don't always be the smartest guy in the room. Uh, You want to keep learning and keep growing. And one of the ways to do that is keep surrounding yourself with other smart, talented people. And and that's a big help. So I'm still practicing uh, patient care close to 20 hours a week, a little less and uh, doing my MPI thing. And, uh, you know, I do some other tangents from that, Um, but, but, you know, still enjoying it and still going at it pretty hard.
0: Well, that's great. I, uh, you know, this this podcast is focused mostly on chiropractors, but also physical therapists who, right. you know, believe in kind of clinical care and the blend with with active care transitioning into exercise. What I'd love to do real quick, and I know that this wasn't in the email that that we exchanged back and forth, but I'm kind of interested lately in this idea of um, the progression you you have seen over your 35 year career in chiropractic. You know, chiropractors 35 years ago were Basically, known for one thing, right? The manual adjustment. And here you are in the business of sharpening the sword with motion palpation. Like, hey, let's get better at that, better at that. As other skills have been introduced. So, for example, the proliferation in the early 2000s, late 90s of of the soft tissue methods, right? The active releases and the Graston started really coming on. And a lot of people got interested in that. Um, how? What, what have you seen as a different interest level in the in MPI or what is the conversation around adjusting skills? If you kind of put it into phases, like in the mid nineties, was it like, uh, we got to just, you know, uh, focus more on the, 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 cervicals and then it moved into extremities and then people focus back on the, the spine. Has there, have you seen some trends within that? Are you ever surprised by them?
2: Well, what I would say, I don't know if I'm going to answer this exactly the way you want, want, want but it is what has happened is when I first came out of school, you didn't have much else besides becoming good at palpating and adjusting it. It kind of forced you to try to be good at decades. There was no active release. There was no grasping, no factor. You know, none of that stuff was going on. SFMA wasn't around, on and on, that kind of stuff. There was no DNS. No, MDT was something only physical therapists did. And, you know, now lots of DCs do MDT and because it's clinically helpful. So one of the things we try and emphasize at MPI is, yes, we want to create the best palpate and adjusters in the world, but we also want to help people integrate these other things because let's face it, the average excellent clinician, that sounds weird, the the, the an excellent cl- clinician is not uh, just adjusting people because that's not all there is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why, like, your model is uh, uh, so popular with people, is because it makes sense that progression, right? It's not just the adjustments are great. I love to get adjusted. I got adjusted yesterday, but I also worked out yesterday. And I'm also very uh, uh, good about my diet. I, uh, you know, so. We want to integrate these other things. So, what happens to a lot of people is they, um, they they move away from manipulation as time goes on because they start learning some of these other things, and then they have a t- they very typically will come back to manipulation again down the road because they see what a great tool it is. And again, it's not the only tool. Um, I heard uh, Mike Leahy on an interview. Uh, he made a great point. He said to young docs just graduate, just become really great at something. So in his eyes, that means ART, right? In my eyes, it means pal and adjust. In the MDT eyes, it means MDT and so on. But become great at something. We have our bias. He's biased toward ART. I'm biased toward palpate and adjust. Mm-hmm. But become great at something and then build on it from there. Uh, you, I, I say you're not going to be great at everything. You're not going to be the best ART guy and the best DNS guy and the best on down the list. You get my point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want people to... to a, uh, build a base where they have good manual skills because the rest of the world wants what we have. The, this manipulation thing uh, is everywhere. You know, there'll be classes this weekend coming up with chiropractors taking palpate and adjust classes d- at different places. Well, there'll also be physical therapists and MDs and DOs doing the same thing because that's such a great tool. So I don't want people to think it's the only tool, but I also don't want them to think it's not important. So the evolution has been. Uh, kind of a wave. It it was all we had. Then we started learning this other cool stuff. And, you know, like I've taken, I bet 15 or more DNS classes. Like I I just love them. I learned something. They have great instructors. I just think they have great, great stuff. Um, We do a lot of classes, continuing classes here in Cincinnati because my office, we can put the classes on. So I'm always learning more stuff. Uh, but I, you know, to, uh, try to emphasize to the student and young doctor, create that foundation. So I think Doctor Leahy had a great point about become great at something, and that's not exactly what you're asking. But the the manipulation, like I say, I think it's going to just continue to grow because the rest of the world likes it.
0: Yeah, I I, I it's funny. Uh, You know, I teach out on the road. I teach the SFMA, and you know, right. it's all about get real accurate about your diagnosis. So like you're saying. If you were to get real good about one thing, it's like, get real good about finding out where is the, what joint has the biggest bang for your buck hidden within it? You know, like right. where can you make huge, massive change? But it's, it's funny uh, when you're saying like, you know, PTs want to learn manipulation. Absolutely. Because we can all, no matter what your license is in musculoskeletal care, we can all unify around the idea of that goddamn clock on the wall. <laughs> is a son of a gun and it's going to control all of us, right? Like you don't have time to do a bunch of, in your world, you don't have a time to adjust or palpate and adjust every joint, especially if it's not going to bring relief or improve the outcome. You don't have time. Dr. Lady doesn't have time to do a bunch of ART on joints that don't really matter or muscles that don't really play a role in the condition the person's climbing. And, you know, the SFMA, it's like, Hey, how can you put that all together? But one thing I see in a lot of the SFMA classes is we'll get to, say, a finding like, hey, this patient is lacking lumbar flexion, which is crazy. But let's say when they do a toe touch type thing, they have a a perfectly flat low back, right? It looks like a cocktail table, for God's sakes. And, you know, I asked the chiros in the room, what would you do here? And they're like, look at each other like they're scared to say it, but they're like, I I would adjust them. I'm like, good, that's exactly what we should do, (laughs) you know, like get those joints moving. And you look at the PTs, what would you do? And they're like, well... I don't really know how to do a, a grade five there. So I'd, I'd mobilize or I'd stretch or I'd blah, blah, blah. And I'm like that you're clinically, you are correct. Like you're in the right path, right? Like get that low back to move. But from the a- aspect of time, what I'm hearing is the chiropractors have a method that we can address that in 30 seconds or less, right? 20, hell, 15 seconds or less. But if you're going to do like, Stretching and grade two, three mobs and you know kind of a uh, like a uh, uh, mulligan type approach. It yeah. will work good. It's just going to take ten times as long to do it. And and if we're all up against this pressure of the clock, right? Like we have to that's get reality. patients in and out. Yeah, it's reality. So having those skills, that's one thing about adjustments is like if given the option, there are a lot of things that work better. But time wise, what's the best and it's really hard time-wise to beat palpate and adjust. I mean, it's, I don't know how you would beat that. <laughs>
2: yeah. And, and all these different, uh, you mentioned SFMA, you could say the same thing about MDT. Uh, I, I, obviously I stress this a lot in my classes, this, this idea of c- categorizing your patient. What's the, like you just said, uh, get best bang for your buck, so to speak. Uh, for what, what your next treatment, what your treatment is going to be after your evaluation. I, I really emphasize the exam over and over and over again in my teaching, because then you can narrow it down. Like, uh, you know, if you, if, if you want to take, take uh, Pavel Kolaj from DNS, he knows to go to this muscle quicker than the average DNS person does. Mike Leahy knows they do these two muscles quicker than the average guy does. So he just can save time and get cut to the chase uh, uh, basically. And if you're good at your palpating, you can find those restricted areas and go to it, get get them moving, and let's go on to the next thing. Maybe you, maybe you need to do an adjustment and then spend five minutes talking about their diet, or maybe you need to teach them this exercise, whatever it is, then you'll have time to, because you can, my, my student reps make fun of me all the time because I obsessively talk about, you know, clinically excellent and, and time efficient. It doesn't matter how how long you spend with a patient, as long as you're getting paid for that time. But in the real world, the time does matter. You need to be time efficient. So figure out how you can do that.
0: Yeah, and I, uh, I, I think you're, you're bringing up a point that I was often missed about that, that time efficiency. There are many good methods, but if they're slow, I took some assessment course one time before I discovered the SFMA. And this guy was like, listen, on every patient, there's only 43 things you have to check off. And I was like 43 and he would go down this thing. I'm like, this is great. If you're in this cash pay model where people are paying you 800 bucks an hour and you're booking out one hour sessions and you have that. And if you have that, go for it, man. I'm, you know, that's great. That ain't where I live. And that ain't my patients, you know?
2: That's not Cincinnati. I can tell you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A 43 point assessment. I was like, it's like when they're trying to sell you a new car or a used car, and they're like, it went through a 50-point safety inspection. It's like, exactly. we don't care about the windshield wipers. I just care, does the thing drive? Like, you know. Right, right. Anyways. That's yeah, yeah. So uh, so you, you develop these skills and whatnot, and you start expanding your office. I'm going back in time here. One thing that I've always heard that you are a master of is, is building clinical systems, both for treatment models, for, you know, all the operations of your clinic. Um, what was the first, I'm kind of jumping around here, but what was the first system you, you think you really truly identified? Like, Hey, we need to do something about X to improve our either outcomes or business or some aspect of your, of your clinic.
2: Um, Okay, that's a hard one, but one—the first thing that jumped in my head is I got better and better at doing my exam. We were just talking about that. Yeah, there was a time when, um, if someone said, "Hey, you know, you're treating me for my headaches, you're improved, but you know, my my left knee is a problem," and what I would say when I was early on in practice, because I didn't couldn't do it quickly enough, I would say, "Well, Mr. Jones, set up a time and I'll do an exam on it." Well, now I've gotten so efficient with it, I can just boom, jump right in and, and, and do a pretty darn good exam in less than five minutes and see what's going on with that left knee and, and at least decide on kind of what's next step. So uh, the first thing was just that whole idea of what's the what's your flow, what's the system for your exam? So my exam sheet, which I don't use anymore because I, I it's in my brain, but I give it to my interns and I get anybody that would want, would want this. And my email is drmking at, at com. I'll send you a copy. Well I have an upper quadrant and a lower quadrant. Um, <clears throat> but um you know it, it matches up with my electronic health records. Mm. And so my flow of my exam flows with the exam sheet, which flows with the electronic health records. So I'm not wasting a lot of time uh, with documentation. <clears throat> I don't I want my exam to be smooth and quick. So in other words, the example is, Okay, I'm going to have you bend down and touch your toes. Then I'm going to have you sit and I'm going to check your patellar reflex. I'm going to have you stand up and bend backwards. And then I'm going to have you sit and I'm going to check your Achilles reflex. Then I'm going to have you roll on your stomach. You know, that makes no sense. Do your standing stuff. Watch them walk. Have Have them sit. Now on your stomach. Now on your back. If you need the sides, great. Get up. Sit one more time. Done. So you do those That, that, that flow is very quick. I do everything I need to do when they're prone, when they're prone, I don't want to flip them over. Now, occasionally I get confused on something and say, can you go on your stomach again? I mean, that does happen obviously, but I'm saying the normal is boom, 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 boom. You go from this position to the next position and not back to that other position again. You've covered that you've it's time to move on. Um, And and with the systems, since I'm on this, you have to have a really efficient system for processing new patients. For example, my my not funny ha ha joke, but my joke on new patients is if you you know someone says, "Oh, I need I'm building my practice, I need more new patients," and okay, Mr. Jones or Doctor Smith, if you get 25 new patients next week, are you going to be able to handle that? And their response is always, "Well, no." And my response is, "Well, then don't worry, you won't get them." if you don't have a way <laughs> to handle that and, and yeah. efficiently process them. So what is your new patient processing system? And because I'm not a one size fits all, I'm simply trying to be efficient. That's all I'm mm-hmm. saying is how do I make this efficient so that I can get to process these patients. Um, and, and maybe I can get 25 new patients in a week and I would be, I would not blow my mind if I, if that happened now, my right. late stage, I couldn't do it because I'm filled up, but, if I was doing practice and didn't have any patients, could I do it then?
0: I think you bring up a good point too because I recently had this experience, and I see this in in chiropractic offices all the time and in gyms. So my wife and I went to a restaurant, right, and relatively new restaurant. I got recommended by like my the lady that does my hair, and she's like, "You got to try this place." So we go in, and it's maybe a third, half full, and you can see the young owners are super excited about it. You know, they just opened. Uh, uh, it, it, had all the telltale signs of a new restaurant opening where like, you know, the protective film they put on some stuff like hasn't been yeah. peeled all the way off the appliances and all the stuff. And, but it's great. You can see they're totally jamming. And so we, the food was great. The, the owner, chef, who I think is also the chef came out and talked to us and whatever. So we do what anybody would do in that situation. And over the next few weeks, we'd be like, oh man, Mark, have you, I got a great restaurant for you to go to, you know, I got this, I got that. And so we're telling our friends, well, just by chance, I talked to two people that I kind of recommended about a month apart that you got to go to this place. I can't even remember the name. It's like Bing, Bing, Bing. I want to say Bing, Bang, Bong, but that's another restaurant here in town. Anyways, um, recommending it. And the second person or the person I recommended most closely at the time, we said, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. They were a little short-staffed, blah, blah, blah. The third person who now a month later went, oh, dude, that place sucked. Like, they took forever to get our order. They they screwed up my wife's. They did this. They did that. I said, oh, did the chef come out and talk to you? No, that they couldn't even. Our server barely came by the table, you know? And it's to your point about, like, they got exactly what they wanted, which was more customers, right? That's what you want. The problem was now, instead of more customers who love you, who will recommend you, who will send all their friends. I loved it. My friend was hot or cold about it. And the other one is like, hell no, I would never recommend that restaurant. So now you have a bunch of, you have one fan and you have two people that are at best not going to come back and at worst are going to spread bad news about your place because you couldn't have those systems to really handle it. right? And I see this with like young Kairos all the time. They're, they're so, enter- and I was like this too, energetic, they want to please, they do these super long exams and these incredible, you know, rehab sessions and all this, which is great. But as you get busier, whatever that first person promises their friend, you can't deliver on anymore, right? And balancing those two things and thinking, what what is it like, like Greg Rose always would challenge me on this question. He said, what if what you're saying works out? What if you're incredibly successful at what you're saying? Could you handle it? And do you want it? you know do you want to be the uh if you if you treat somebody's foot and you're like amazing at at uh reducing plantar fasciitis do you want 50 people coming in with plantar fasciitis next week and you go no my hands would smell and i wouldn't eat sandwiches for a week you know like then they would just all smell like feet so it, it's it's just kind of kind of funny that those things happen but i think you're right like be careful what you wish for because if you get exactly that it might actually screw up your business
2: yeah and so yeah the the, the systems though make it so that you don't get blown away that the, 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 customers come in and yeah. you can, and you can handle it. Just like uh, another example is front desk scripting. Do they know how to answer the, uh, the, the question? Um, you know, if someone said, calls up and says, do you guys have traction? Yeah, we have some traction tables. My staff knows that, yes, we have traction tables. We go through it. Does anybody there do, again, uh, I got the number one, one of my docs, the number one a DNS guy in this area. Do you guys do DNS? Well, we've all taken a ton of them. And uh, one of our guys is a guy named Dr. Jason Placeway. He's really strong in DNS. So if someone wants DNS, he's the man. Now we all do it, but he's been to Prague and done it all. And, you know, he's very, very good at it, just plain out good at. It. But my point is the staff knows he he's the one if there's someone's really looking right. for a DNS master, so to speak. So. That's another way you can work on your systems is to uh, is that scripting at your front desk, and you just have to in the staff meeting you just have to practice and redo it.
0: And one thing I get a lot of questions about that, and people like, oh, do you have like uh, you know systems and KPIs? And I think there's actually a lot of intimidation because I think people are often looking for what would be the perfect system, the perfect script for their front desk. And I don't know about your experience. I'd love to have you talk about this, but my experience is even if you just hopped on you know, pulled up Microsoft Word and you say, hey, Mark, what are five bullet points we want to cover when people call and make a new appointment, right? Like, hey, uh, number one, be sure to bring your ID and insurance card. Number two, uh, park in the in the lot that's just to our north, not the one to the west. Uh, number three, uh, show up at this time. And then, you know, like five bullet points. That's it. That's the script we have right now. Now, in the future, we can build it out and we can build out the questions. We're getting a lot of questions about, DNS lately. I don't know why. Great. Build out a a little bit about that. But it could start as simply as just a few bullet points. It doesn't have to be paragraphs and it doesn't have to be perfect. But any script is going to work better than the one you're currently not using.
2: Yeah, we have a little, a little checklist, just exactly what you just said. That's that's what we have. And, then, and then, uh, then they just make sure that little form gets filled out correctly. I've got my no, most recent a uh, new patient, little—it's the size of a of a script pad, and it's got the information on there. And they give it to me after they're done with it. The front desk, I mean, gives it to me, and <clears throat> it's got the key points, like to 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 what you're saying. So it, it's it it again. It just makes so they just go down the list. We have free parking right in front of the office. Show up at this time, uh, and then it has a check. Did you go over the insurance? Is it PI, work comp, whatever it might be? You know, did you get it just has. I don't know what it says. I mean, I can look at it, but I mean, I never look at that part. It's just a. Checklist. Hell, you
0: wrote it in 1987. I'm sure you're like, I don't know what the hell yeah, this thing says. <laughs> that's exactly right.
2: That's exactly right. And it changed a little bit over time, but the the concept is, to your point, you got a you got a little checklist. Yeah, I love that.
0: Well, one of the questions I sent over to you that I'd love to ask. You know, as we're talking, you're you're the master of systems. Somebody attributed a quote to you. It's like uh, it might have been our mutual friend, Lindsay Muma, she said something like, uh, systems do something, but processes win championships or something. Have you said this line before?
2: Oh, that's just a story. Yeah, the joke is I've never had an original thought. I just stole the line there. I forget how that quote goes exactly, so I'm not going to butcher it up, but I know what you're talking about. All right, Uh, well,
0: (laughs) either way, uh, Mark's great about systems. So, Mark, if we talk about these things we've talked about about, You've got you're fighting the clock every day right everybody in every healthcare practice in the world is fighting the clock whether you're a dentist sure. or cairo or or a surgeon for God's sakes you're fighting the clock and you as an incredibly trained individual you've you've tried and used and you've probably uh, uh trimmed out more DNS than most people have ever used right you probably trimmed out adjustments and, sure. and exams and everything that than most people have ever used um, what is like one Process you would say, processor system people should build into their office to maximize their profit. I'll just go off that the profit margin of any practice. If you, if I were to say, hey, let's focus on that, what would be one system you're like, do this? This is the one I think is most impactful. It could be anything from make your exam more efficient uh you know make your treatment more efficient or your front desk grip I don't care what it is but what do you from your experience
2: well actually the thing that comes to my mind on this is the the staffing thing like making sure you're going through their checklist again like with staffing did you did you do a criminal background did you do a financial background because people who are in bankruptcy are not the people you want handling your money at the front at the front desk how did their references check out were there any red flags in their work history yeah they've they've had seven jobs in the past 2 years that's a red flag. They're not, you know, that's that's somebody, and you cannot ignore the red flags. It's hard not to ignore them if you like them. Say, oh, but he or she was just really seemed great in the interview. Well, that's nice. But and you check their criminal record and they were in jail for, you know, for bank fraud. I don't know. You, I'm just making it up. But the point is, is that this staff, you know, everything comes down to that front person. Now, everyone would like to have less staff because staff, you know, catch colds and they Miss work and they, you know, they uh, have personalities and all the stuff that is nice not to have to deal with on a day to day basis. But we're go- your patients want to deal with somebody who's nice to them and 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 does a good job. My point is is that if you want to save some heartache and save some money, then then you want to put some time into screening them on the front end. I could say the same thing on this, Josh. If we were talking about uh, hiring an associate doc, are you spending the time to make sure that they can do what they? can do. And I'm not going to sit here and try and pretend like I've done this all perfectly over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've tried to make, do it perfectly, but I have, you know, sometimes you fail, but at least give yourself a running, at least give yourself a running start or a chance yeah. to get it right on the front end. Do Go down the steps. And if you're not, if it's not adding up, don't, don't dive in, D- just, just yeah. wait and keep, and keep looking.
0: Well, it's interesting. I think you just did a great analogy because I think everybody listening to this that has a healthcare license When you get a new patient, right, you ask your red flag questions. You're listening for those red flag questions, right? Like any nighttime pain, any night sweats, recent weight loss, blah, blah, blah. And why are you doing that? Because the chance is if they come into a musculoskeletal clinic like a chiropractic office or physical therapy, 99% of those people do not have cancer, you know, don't have an infection, don't have a horrible, you know, bone quality, 99%. But the percent that do... that it's so dangerous to proceed that we want to change the process or the method that we are going down. Right. And it, it, you're saying that, Hey, take that same approach for your employees. There you go. 1% of them will totally screw over your business or 4% or whatever it is. Very low percentage. But the problem is when that person has access to all your passwords and your banking information and your Medicare number and is billing under your NPI and doing all those things, the, catastrophic failure that could occur if that person makes it through your filter is so exorbitant that you don't want to take the risk of not hitting those red flag questions on the front end.
2: Yeah. And, and so like different places have different, um, philosophies about this. I, my approach with whether we're talking about an associate doc or a, a associate physical therapist, I want them in there for the long haul. I want them to, um, like it there. I'm, I, I'm not a, a Churn and burn or whatever the phrase is. I'm not going to just grind them into the ground, whether we're talking about my front desk person or whoever, I would like them to stay there as long as possible because my thinking is that, um, it's just so expensive to go hire new to replace the one you just burn out. Yeah. You got everything out of them. You could, you squeezed them to the very end and now you have to go get, you have to go get another one because they have eventually, you know, hated their job and, and moved on. And another philosophy, uh, this is called a tangent here, Josh, but um, one of the things we decided on CAs is we've we we've got some people that have been here a really long time and they're fantastic. But we've also, you I, know, you always have that 20% that you're all, at the big turnover. You know, we have 80% that's been here for forever and then we have 20% that's always turnover. We, a few years back, quite a few years back, decided we're going to just hire smart people, meaning they might be college educated, meaning they're not staying with us forever. They're eventually going to dump us. And but guess what? They learn stuff super fast. They mm. they can do anything. So we just lost Anna, this super sharp young gal. She went to work in the corporate world because that's what her degree was. And she was thinking about going to chiropractic school or PT school and she was trying to figure it out. And so she got a job with us for a year while she was trying to figure it out and decided I'm going to try this corporate world and see what I think. So she dumped us. But my God, she was fantastic while she was here. So smart. Just learn anything. So, you know, you say, "Well, I don't want to have to." Pay. Well, yeah, we had to pay her more than somebody who was, not to be mean, but somebody who was dumb. She's mm-hmm. not dumb. She was super sharp, and we paid her a little more. But she, and she gave us only she only gave us a year. Usually, you get more than that. But she only gave us a year. But it was fantastic. So our philosophy for our CAs has been to hire smart people who can do do lots of things rather than just hire somebody who's going to stay there forever.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's interesting because. uh I've I've had the experience of both the first front desk person we ever hired at our clinic was um as my friend Ryan would call them a dumb doer. Very good at tasks but no personal leadership, no would never come back and say, "Hey, we've been doing it this way, but I think it would actually be more efficient if we did it this way." But she would do the repeatedly uh, if you had some trivial task, she would do it a thousand times a day if necessary. That's just how she was. But Sure. But I look at how much we did not grow in that year period we had her. And then we hired somebody that was, we got lucky as hell. They were super, super sharp. We're, they had just moved to the area and needed a job quickly. And their resume was, I mean, it was like, why are you applying here? Well, we're the only place that she knew and the only people she knew were hiring she improved so many processes and built so many things and did so many things. And then to your, what you're saying, she's like, well, I'm going to nursing school. It's like, all right, well, we can't stop you for God's sakes, but we appreciate everything you did while you were here. And she was tough to replace. um, And we found somebody, but yeah, it it is funny because in that same year period, what that really excellent person can do versus what a mediocre person can do is drastically different. And if you get three years out of them, it's even better.
2: And and just to your, some of the things they see that maybe you didn't see and I didn't see, but maybe the uh, other CAs didn't see, that they see stuff. And it, it jumps out, you know, we can do this and save 20% of our hassle right here doing this. Boom, let's do it. Yeah. It happens over and over again.
0: Right. Yeah. And and to to buy that skill or that thought, you you pay maybe a couple bucks more an hour for every hour she works. But when there's that breakthrough, you made it back tenfold, right? Yeah. 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 So, Mark, go ahead. yeah. So, you you've seen the highs and lows. I mean, you've seen the economy in in multiple different states, right? Crazy inflation, you've seen the the bust uh you were in practice during the dot com bust, uh the the 07 crash of the market, and then you've seen incredible prosper prosperous economy going right. You've seen all those things. As you're building your practice, can you talk a little bit about a time where either internally you're something in your practice or the way the business is going, things kind of appeared like they fell apart. You were able to fix things, and now you're you learned some lesson along the way. Is there some some time where I'm sure there's some people listening going, Oh, this guy doesn't know what the struggle's like to be a single doc in an office? He's always had eight employees from the day he started or eight practitioners mm-hmm. and You know, people want to work for him. He has the biggest clinic in his area. I'm sure they forget about the fact that uh, you and your wife both had student loan debt and, you know, just graduated and whatnot. Uh, What was the time it kind of fell apart and what'd you learn from it?
2: Well, um, as I think about that, you know, Cincinnati, I'm lucky, is a relatively stable economy. So we have done a fairly steady climb as we've gone along. But what happened? is In our world, that was a bummer, the, as an understatement, is mm-hmm. the uh, Cincinnati's very heavily managed care. And it has progressively gotten more managed care over the years. And so what that means is they just squeeze you hard, right? Your audience so, knows what that Yeah, means. let
0: me just make sure we we have the right context for everybody. Because if you're not in an area with a lot of managed care, you might not know what that is. Okay. So typically, very, very large employers, so prolific amount of health insurance, Right. And yes. then the the health insurance though is squeezing every single drop right. out of every single provider. So so in yeah. Vegas, we have the big strip employers. I, I'm based in Vegas. We have the big strip employers. But then when you get off the strip, it's mostly like small, small, medium businesses, right? Sure. Versus an area like Cincinnati where you have some mega employers that have hundreds of thousands of local employees, right? I mean, each yes. one, maybe millions of employees. So If you get on a Blue Cross Blue Shield panel, as one example, that gives you access to literally more patients than you could ever handle. Sounds great, right? But what did you what did you learn in that that so you got all that managed care? Sorry to cut you off. I just want no, no, to illustrate that, for people that don't understand that kind of setup. Yeah,
2: so that's exactly what happens is you you're on the on the plan, and then people can use their insurance to come see you, and they pay you less than you know they pay you a reduced fee. It started off with you know they reduce it twenty percent, and then it's, it's progressively gotten worse and worse over the years, and then eventually you have to say, okay, uh, is this company worth staying with? So. For example, we dropped out of uh, Cigna, uh, I guess it's been well over a year now. I forget how long, a year and a half ago or more. We dropped out because they just weren't paying us enough to to make it worth staying in. And the the funny thing is Cigna called us back and talked to my office manager said, well, we really don't want you to go. We'll pay you more. Oh, okay, great. How much? "Uh, We'll pay an extra $2 a visit. And we're like, no, we need you to pay us an extra $30 a visit, an extra $40. It's <laughs> terrible. So we still had to drop out. It's just one example. But that was one of those things where what we said was, we have to be more efficient because we're going to get what we're going to get. So if you, um, if you know that you're not going to get paid for your physical therapy, for example, you either charge cash or you start a physical therapy to uh, department and have it separate, or you refer out for the physical therapy, and you concentrate on manual care. So that that's that's an example. Okay, United Healthcare in our area pays fifty five dollars, no matter what we do. We get X ray, treat, examine, do traction, anything you want to name, fifty five dollars. So what we do is we work with you know we we focus on the manual care with those patients. Most all of them need physical therapy at some point, right? They need some kind of return to function strengthening all that stuff that again to this clinic gym hybrid a concept it's a the point is is that eventually so we just refer them to the physical therapist and let them do that and rather than me spending a lot of time on something i won't get paid for at least they can get we our physical therapists can get paid for it so so you have to learn how to be efficient now you say well you should just do what the patient needs i know well i know but i'm not going to get paid and if i send them to an excellent physical therapist uh, why is that different than if I do it? The physical therapist certainly knows the I heck, I'm biased. I I hired these physical therapists. I know they're fantastic. <laughs> so the point is <clears throat> they come separate appointment for their physical therapy, <clears throat> separate from when they see me. So I might treat them for a while, and then refer them to physical therapy. That's kind of a common scenario. Or you do the exam on somebody and say, you know, you're you're stone cold, a stability case. You need to spend very little time with me. You need to be with a physical therapist and spend hours getting reps. Two or three times a week for a month, and so on. So I'm getting long-winded, but the, um, the what I'm saying is we figured out that measure it. Uh, are you measuring it? Uh, meaning, if the X Y Z insurance company is not paying you well enough to make it worth it, you've got to drop out and replace them with other other patients. It's just like if you have a patient that's a, a, a energy vampire. You know, just sucks the blood out of you every time they come in. Get rid of them, and you'll get two or three other good ones to replace them. So don't so if you've got something that's killing you and squeezing you and you can't make any money on it, get rid of that one and and focus in another area. So we had to analyze that and that really made it more difficult. So we we have to we have very tight margins, much more tight than uh, a lot of other areas in the country. So and we're constantly trying to figure out do we drop out of this company? Do we do you know, do we add, add to that one and so on. So that's that's an example of, of adapting to the situation.
0: Let me ask you this Uh, you seem like a pretty analytical dude and you kind of take a really smart approach. Did you feel, did you analyze and realize, Hey, we're going to have to take, get rid of, you know, Cigna or whatever this back. I'm saying back when managed care really started pressuring your area or as most people do, did you start feeling the pressure of Jesus? I feel like we treated everybody and there's no money in the bank account. What's going on. And, and you felt that pressure first. So at the, the, the result, not, Uh, See the
2: writing on the wall early enough. No, I definitely the latter. I definitely. uh,
0: (laughs) Okay, so you are human. You screwed it up like the rest of us. Okay, that's good to hear. (laughs) I I definitely
2: uh, was was like, wow, I'm really working hard here, and the and you know money's not coming in as as it should be for what I'm doing. Yeah,
0: we we had an experience just for everybody listening, uh, similar. So the repayment. So what our biggest one of the biggest employers out here. Uh, had great insurance, uh, had Aetna, they would pay us $121 a visit on average, right? Sometimes it was $150, sometimes it was $93, but it was $121 average, which is, at least when I started, that was great money and you could really make that work, right? Sure. Then they switched to, I can't remember if United or whatever, but two things happened that kind of were a shock. Number one, the repayment on average went down to like 86 so significant drop. But the other thing that really killed us that we realized was, Edna was reimbursing us on average about 26 days after submission, right? So less than 30 days. Mm -hmm. The other company averaged five and a half months, a hundred and I can't remember. It was like 161 day reimbursement. So there was a period there where, when they switched over from one month to five, basically for five months, we got very few reimbursement checks in and then they started to flow. Well, that presents its own problem that, you know, Cash flow so, wise, sure, Yeah. Yeah. So I would highly recommend anybody don't just think, oh, well, on average, we get this much. How soon do you get it? Because if, you know, it's like the world of PI, like you, it's really tough to make a PI practice work the first couple of years because you're getting no, there's no, you know, you're, you're billing out all these liens and you don't have any cash flow in. So it's, uh, it can be. Well, that's all part of the analysis
2: work. that it is, yeah. is the way to do it. And, and, um, um, I, I I'll be honest with you on this on this Josh is that I have a tendency to uh, just you know you get busy and a lot of it is at the end of the month you know how much did I get a pile of money and if the pile was big enough I move on and if it's not big enough I start asking why and then we start fixing things from there yeah now we do that and we also are constantly analyzing things as we go so it's really a kind of a combination of things on how we uh, figure this out but yeah I have a tendency to say if I'm making a lot of money. Uh, something must be going right. Yeah. And, and like, like you say, if we, if an insurance carrier suddenly doesn't pay you for five or six months, well then you're going to feel that. And okay, why, why am I not getting paid as much this month? And then yeah. go and figure it out from there.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Uh, it takes you back to, I, I had to take a statistics class in college and I was like, what, what why the hell are we doing this? Like, come okay. on, man, I'm an exercise science major. Like, I'm not going to use this. And holy crap. Do you get back to, wow, that's really useful. You know, like, right. Like, because our repayments for that period uh, were again were eighty six dollars, but I realized there's only four entries in that column. At one point, it was an eighty six dollar average off of four entries because we're waiting for over a hundred EOBs to come through. And it's like, oh, well, that that in itself is a signal. You know, why do we have such minimal data if this is our biggest uh, in, you know carrier? So
2: right, and it, it's different in every region of the country. Everybody, yeah. Vegas is different than Cincinnati is different than every place else. So you have Absolutely. to, you know, you can't. One size does not fit all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, you'll see certain groups, uh, healthcare groups, you know, I'll use uh, in chiropractic aerosity is is one and up in Utah, there's a group called Intermountain Healthcare and you can always see uh, the tea leaves when they find a really good insurance payer and they have a thing where they can get that repayment in a short amount of time because you'll see in like two or three years, they wildly expand. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and You're like, oh, how do they do right, that? Right.
0: And you go back. Oh, they just crack the code on one or two insurers, and boom, and you just start searching out. Like, hey, we'll serve all those. You know, if it's United, we'll serve all your United Healthcare people. Blah 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 blah. Or teachers' union or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's because the the cash flow just starts spilling out, and you're like, oh, this is perfect. So
2: yeah, they they do that. some of these groups do a good job of sniffing that out.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, Mark, this is I'm I'm having a hoot talking to you. I really appreciate the time today. Let, let me ask you this last question before we wrap things up. Uh, again, you've been in practice 35 years. You've done DNS. You've done, you know, my experience with DNS, the first time it was recommended to me, I went on the website. I saw a bunch of kids crawling around in diapers and I thought, Ooh, the hell is saying this is great for exercise. Like this doesn't, I don't know what kind of exercise you're into, but this ain't me, man. Um, uh, but I imagine over 35 years, you've been exposed to some incredible uh, concepts and some that were probably way ahead of their time and some that were behind the times. Can you share with us maybe a story, something that you at first thought was completely silly and you have found over the years incredible useful uh, usefulness in it, whether it's a, a, a treatment method or a diagnostic method or even an orthopedic test that you thought was, uh, I can remember the first time I saw Craig's test, I'm like, this is, there's no way this is accurate this is so simple and therefore it has to be inaccurate and i'm always amazed it's one of the most accurate and simple orthopedic tests to do and it has great usefulness so is there anything you stumble upon or that that really picks your brain about uh man i i discounted this at first
2: well yeah i i i have several but a couple easy ones are you know i I've over time, a lot of times, you know, if, if you can apply this to the nutrition world, to the exercise world, to the manual care world, acupuncture and so on. People will say, well, is it good for me to take uh, glucosamine? And the answer is, well, probably you should try it and see if you're a responder. And do you re- if you respond to it, then great. If you don't, then you can take it or not. Uh, CBD, is it is CBD good for me, Dr. King? Well, you can try it if you get the right dosage and right, correct way to do it uh, try it and see how it goes. When I, so what I'm getting at is pay attention to what works and what doesn't work. So I'm, you know, I I don't know why this, this seems so basic that I I feel a little silly even telling you this, but I've put a little more emphasis on, well, when I do these exercises that I feel better. Okay. Keep doing that. When I go to this exercise class, I'm, I'm hurt for three days after the exercise class. Okay. It's time to find a new exercise class. When I eat this food, I feel great. When I eat that food, I I makes I feel lousy for a few days. You like it's it sounds condescending but you've got to listen to some of those um findings. It's just like you know uh when I do these stand up and bend backwards um it makes my low back feel better. Okay. So through the day you've got to stand up and bend backwards. I mean again, I don't mean to sound like a smart aleck, but you're saying what seemed too obvious, what was silly, what was whatever however you worded it, but it was like what was Really easy. This idea that it's okay to try these things. If it works, keep going. If it doesn't work, it's time to uh, to change that. Um, what people think about when they go to exercise classes and get hurt all the time is that, well, as I get stronger, um, it'll it won't. I won't be so hurt. Is um, if I really stay strict on this certain kind of diet eventually, as I stay strict with it, eventually it's going to start working for me. Well, maybe it's not going to. Maybe that exercise class, you've got to find a new one. It may not be working for you. Again, like I say, it seems so obvious, but that took me a long time to kind of figure that out, that, hey, this is working for you. Keep doing it. Hey, this isn't working for you. Stop that. A little bit silly, but it, uh, but it really it was a big thing for me.
0: Uh, yeah, That. That seems so simplistic, but, um, so valuable. And the the other thing, I mean, if there's any young providers listening, I am shocked still to this day. I mean, I've been in practice for 15 years, so you only got me beat by a smooth 20, you know, but, um, to this day of you're saying responder, I think that's a great term. I'm always shocked by how many people don't respond to things that other people say is amazing. I'll use acupuncture as an example. I've sent hundreds of patients to acupuncture and, yeah. and you get the super high responders, but the, the ones that just blow me away are maybe 20% of the people that go say, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you if it was better or worse. It they didn't get negative. Just, I just couldn't tell you if it did anything for me whatsoever, other than they'll say it was nice to lay in a dark room, you know, quiet room for mm. a while. And I just think, what is it about the body that, Causes one person, Mark King in Cincinnati goes, oh, acupuncture is the best thing I've ever felt in my life. And the same treatment process, the same diagnostic process being used on Josh Satterley in Las Vegas. And I say, Moss or Menos, I couldn't tell you a difference, right? And it just, and it, it, that one really kind of illustrated to me as well, Chiropractics like that. My wife does not do well with cervical adjusting her, the, she's a kind of a long lanky neck. And she does not like the the stimulation of the mechanoreceptors and everything. She gets woozy afterwards, and she feels unstable and whatnot. And I try and tell her, babe, you were unstable before that. Like, it, it wasn't the adjustment, uh, which she doesn't appreciate and gets me in even more trouble. But, um, but in all seriousness, like, it, it's funny how some people respond that differently. And, uh, yeah, it, taking that into account and, you know, making notes in your treatment plan. I have a golfer, professional golfer. He's been on the PJ Tour for… 21 years, cannot be adjusted prone. If you adjust them prone, you will have problems in the next three days. And it's like, might want to make a note about that in your EHR, right?
2: Right. And I say that to patients, I'll do a lot of like three times a week for three weeks kind of treatment plans, because Mm -hmm. at the end of that time, I should be making some kind of progress. And I say to them, well, we're getting ready to start the first day that we're going to start treatment. They're like, In three weeks, you're going to be, you need to be significantly better or resolved. If you're not, then we need to step back, take x-rays, do an MRI, refer to another practitioner, do acupuncture, something, right? So if I think it's a case where I'm going to be able to help them, I think they're going to get better. We're going to start treatment. But what if they don't? Because we've all had it. You know, we've all had that patient who just, who we thought was going to be, you know, let's go, it's going to go well. And they did, they just didn't, they just didn't improve. Well, then you've got to step back and you've got to reanalyze and then you've got to get more, you know, get more information. So the line I always use is I say, does that make sense? I've treated you for three weeks. I'm fairly decent at this manual care stuff. And I know a little bit about rehab and maybe we've talked about your nutrition. So we at least cover the biochemistry part and you're 3% better in three weeks. Does that make sense? The answer is no okay, Mark, you are missing something. So mm-hmm. let's now go get more information. And again, maybe it's x-rays or MRIs or whatever it might be. Um, but you have to, you know, you give yourself that clinical trial. I think it, with drugs it'll, it'll is where it will happen first. They'll eventually be able to do a blood test, do a kind of a genetic testing that, okay, John Doe is going to respond to this medication, but he's not going to respond to that one. And Over time, I think that'll become more and more common, especially because there's so much more money in drugs that, you know, they won't have to say, go try this drug. They do the exact same thing. Go try this drug. See how you do. And eventually they'll be able to say, this drug is supposed to work for you. Go take this and uh, come back in two weeks or whatever they do.
0: I, I had an interesting one along those lines recently. I went to the dentist. I had to get a filling, which I haven't gotten a filling in 25 years, I think. And they gave me a micro dose of the lidocaine, like the numbing agent. And they started a timer. And they had me feeling and they were looking for how long, how long does it take for me to process it? And I, I can't remember. I got over three minutes and they said, is it still numb? Yes. I could see him do some calculation of knowing how much to pull for me because that, that office has learned there are high metabolizers who will burn through the lidocaine like crazy. You want to know that on the front end, rather than when you're halfway into drilling into the tooth and the person jumps. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's incredible. Like they're starting to do it, like of a dose response kind of curve. So I was, uh, but yeah, I believe that we will see more and more of that, that accurate. What will you respond to? What you won't you? And therefore that will affect our treatment or our approach.
2: And in, in the meantime, for you and me and our listeners, we do these incredibly good exams. So we're most likely to put them in the correct category. And If you put them in the correct category, your chances, and the research backs this up. This is not just my clinical experience, which it also is that if I do that good exam, put them in the right category, do the proper treatment, my chances of success go way up.
0: Yep. And, and then finally, and yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you and take that information and tune it to that patient. You know, they do better when you do, when you bias towards exercise, they do better when you bias towards, uh, uh, manual care. Cool. Take those notes and you'll become the world's in your area, the world's greatest treating clinician, you know, people Bingo. love it so yep. well, mark, um you know there's so much we could do here. couple things. number one, can you share your email address in case anybody has a question? you offered to share that upper quadrant lower quadrant uh, yes.
2: exam is d r m k i n g at m t l o o k o u t C-H-I-R-O.com. It stands for Dr. M. King at com. I will tell you, if you email me and I do not respond, then I did not get your email. I will respond, but the response will be very short. Our buddy, Dr. Muma, makes fun of me on this because my responses might be something like yes or no or eight or whatever.
0: Right. It won't so be ironically, I... as long as that email address is, The inverse will be the response, right? The world's longest email address, the world's shortest actual email response.
2: Theoretically, that long email address will give me a little less uh, junk email, but I don't know if it's... Yeah, it's like you burned
0: up all your typing just writing out your email address. You're like, I don't have time for anything else. Yeah, Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Second thing, you are the president of MPI. Uh, MPI, I think I've heard great things about. Uh, I have actually never taken an MPI course, so it's on my list of CEs to to take coming up. If somebody out there is interested in an MPI course and what it can do for them, where can they find more info? And in your opinion, knowing everything you know and seeing all the people go through, where would you recommend they start?
2: Okay, so it's motionpalpation.org motionpalpation.org is the is the website so if it was if i was talking to you josh uh seasoned clinician i would tell you um if you want to just pop uh work on your manual skills then then obviously you would take the uh, spine or the extremities class if you say well my adjusting i had a great group of teachers and i'm my manual skills are, if you want an interesting class for someone like yourself then if we do a sports summit in March. This year will be in Kansas City. We finally had to give up all, after canceling three years because of COVID in Chicago. We are going to move it to Kansas City. That is a great class because we do a little bit of combination of some soft tissue, some adjusting, some rehab, some movement screens, some nutrition. David Seaman comes and does the nutrition piece. So... Um, that would be like, if it was you specifically, that's kind of where I would direct you. If you said, no, Mark, I need to get, I'm really rusty for some, I'm really rusty on my extremities classes. Then one of the the base classes, MPI extremities would be a great place to start. So um, it depends a little bit on where, what what you want to do. If you say, well, I really like the combination of adjusting and rehab. We do our uh, integrative classes where we do a combination of adjusting and some low-tech rehab. We, we combine that. Um, so, the, you know, there's a lot of interest. We have a gate class that is uh, very well received. We do a disc class, a shoulder class. Um, you can see, you know, where we're going with this. There's a lot of different different classes. That, uh,
0: That's part know. of why I'm asking, because I, I have talked to some other folks. And, you know, part of the reason we choose CEs is just works with our schedule or the travel or, hey, that one's, you know, only two hours away. I can drive to that, which are perfectly fine reasons. but. Uh, you guys offer so much great stuff. It's almost like going to the greatest restaurant around, like, what should I order? Like right. Where should I start with with that? So right. uh, and I would recommend for the students, you know, MPI puts on the adjust athon, and I will tell you, I taught at Cleveland for a couple of years. I taught a course, and I did notice that every student who had been through the adjustathon, when we were in class and we said, "Hey, here's the problem. hey, this low back will not flex, that the adjustathon participants were like, "All right, I'll get there and I'll try something." Versus the other folks that were kind of sitting back and were very timid and not willing to try. So it just gets you the reps and gets you a little bit of confidence of applying your craft, which is the hands-on palpation and adjusting.
2: That's kind of our favorite weekend for the instructors. It's October 1st and 2nd this year, and it's also in Kansas City. They have a big giant kind Of open cafeteria area, we do it in there, and and there's just a bunch of instructors, and and, uh, you get a lot of attention. But, um, it's just there's just an energy in there that is just second to none. And if you it's all focused on palpate and adjust spine, uh, we don't do extremities, we don't do rehab, we don't do you know lab tests or x ray, it's it's palpate and adjust on the spine. But just the buzz of the weekend is really cool, and uh, like I said, we do that one every year, uh, at Cleveland, and Dr. Cleveland is, is just a great uh supporter and uh, help to us to, to put that together. He's a, he's really, we always try and get him to come by on Saturday and say a, say a word or two about what's going on.
0: Well, that man, his bow ties and a smile are both infectious. Like it's, yeah. it's yeah, great to have him around. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, Mark, I really appreciate all the time. I know that you are a busy man and this uh, went on a little longer than I promised. So, uh, you know, consider this uh time and a half on, yeah. on how much we'll broadcast, but no, Uh, I do appreciate it. Uh, Once again, if you will put your email address, I think we'll try and put it in the show notes here so people can reach out. Um, And with that, as I always say, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks everybody for listening. And Mark, thank you for the time today. Thanks, Josh. Thanks a lot for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information about me, about us, about our programs, then just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's clinicgymhybrid.com. You can check us out there. Got our accelerator program and a few other programs that will help you get up and running as quickly as possible and making more money while providing excellent active therapy to your patients.